Kids Classics. On Ken's Classics, we have the mighty Nicholas Vince. You've seen Nicholas, or well, maybe you haven't seen his face, but uh, you've certainly seen him behind the masks of some of Clive Barker's fabulous monsters in Nightbreed, Hellraiser. Yeah, he's one of the Cenobites. He's one of the tribes of the moon. He was a fabulous, fabulous guest. We had a wonderful chat. Here he is. From the dark side, the man from Midian, the mighty Nicholas Vince. Have you always loved movies, theater, or act? Or yeah, I was, a, I, was a, I was a show-off right. when I was a kid. Um, I mean, I literally started at primary school doing school plays, um, and then, uh, yeah, I just carried on into amateur theatre when I was about 11. My English teacher, uh, we used to do public speaking things at school, I remember she encouraged us to do that, where you had to learn a piece and just stand up in front of uh, an examiner. Uh, and just say your piece, basically. Right. Um, and she won. And they, she belonged to the, the local amateur society, and they needed a boy to play the parts in a Dickensian evening. So I played Pip, and uh, also, you know, all those. I don't know if I played Oliver. I can't remember playing Oliver Twist, but basically, it was an evening of extracts from Dickensian theatre. So that's kind of where I started and I was doing um, uh, amateur shows right up until I went to drama school uh, when I was, oh, I was 21 when I went to drama school. Right. Um, so I was, I was doing all those kind of things. Right. Um, Shakespeare and all that? Say again? Shakespeare and all that? Shakespeare? Shakespeare, do you know did I do any Shakespeare? I don't believe I did. Right. No, I don't. I mean, I love Shakespeare. Right. I always, you know, the moment I came across Shakespeare, uh, I always thought he was brilliant. Right. And um, I loved the language. I loved the fact that it was all in the wrong, you know, all the words were in the wrong order. Um, <laughs> and I just, I was mesmerized by this stuff. And when I was, I think back in the 1970s, so when I was a teenager, the BBC did all the Shakespeare plays. They dramatized all the Shakespeare plays. They got, you know, the top line actors, Janet Susan, I remember, and, um, you know, they got them, to, they did these shows. And what I found fascinating was the fact that the people you thought of as comedians, um, I don't, you're, you're familiar with John Cleese? Yes, yes. You're the Fulty yeah. Towers. Yeah, um, he was in, yeah, yeah, Monty Python and and so on. Um, He was, um, he played, and I can't, uh, 
that's not Petruccio. Um, basically, in The Taming of the Shrew, he played the guy taming the shrew. I can't remember the character's name. Right, right. And I just remember him doing this soliloquy to a candle. And it was absolutely mesmerizing. And I noticed that the comedians were able to make the language more accessible than yeah. the, the more classical actors. I mean, they, you know, they were great. Yeah, yeah. But I was absolutely fascinated by the fact that the comedians. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think I did... Yeah. Until I got to drama school, I, I, when, I, I, when I was at drama school, I played Friar Lawrence in Romeo and Juliet. Right, right. Um, as, as a drama school production. But right. apart from that, I think that's probably the only Shakespeare I ever did. Yeah, you know, you know, you, just just mentioning it there, as you said, the the soliloquy to a candle. You know who I saw? <laughs> you know who I saw who was absolutely who I didn't know was was that incredible an actor because. In the, I'd never seen him on stage. I'd only seen him in films, and he usually played like the second baddie from the left. Uh-huh. And that was Stephen Burkoff. You know Stephen Burkoff? Oh God, yeah, no Stephen Burkoff. I've never had the pleasure of seeing him on stage. I've yeah. read some of his work, yeah. and he was really active when we were at drama school and everyone. Yeah. Burkoff is amazing. Yeah, he did. Um, he did a he did a, a a play went all around the world with it. Was called Shakespeare's Villains. Where he plays those little segments of just the villains like Iago and um, oh, wow. Richard the Third and you know all that sort of thing, and it's just these little uh, how should we say like these just these little not the whole play vignette. just little vignettes yeah, and um, he was you know for uh, I think I think actors are wonderful anyway but to be on stage with no props. And to hold an audience's attention for two hours, with wow. with nothing, he was it, it blew my mind. Like you watch him in films, like in uh, Rambo, he's in a Rambo movie, and he was in a yeah. James, James yeah. Bond movie, and he was a bit part player in uh, Stanley Kubrick films. But to see him do that just completely changed my impression of the man totally because he oh. blew the audience away, just just on stage, oh, I- yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, I think over here he was known as a stage actor right, more right. than anything else because he wrote his own stuff. Um, yeah. And again, it's something that he has yeah. this amazing use of language that was very Shakespearean. Mm. Um, I remember when we were doing our exams at drama school for our stage fighting, a couple of the lads took a um, piece from one of his plays, which I want to call East. Um, off the top of my head, uh, which is basically East End, Cockney's villains, and so on. And the, the use of language is just purely Shakespearean. It's all written in rhyme, and, and it's extraordinary. Absolutely amazing actor. Right, yeah. No, just, just when you talked about that soliloquy, it made me think of it. Because um, <clears throat> just to, to have, I mean, to, I mean a, a lot of actors, you know, as you know yourself, you can you can have very little and command so much from an audience with you know the look in your eyes or yes. the way you deliver a line or something like that. But yeah, to, no, yeah but, to, but to hold an audience for that length of time with none of the the paraphernalia that is associated with a theatrical performance, um, you know, and just just him alone. Uh, and and I think the only thing that really changed during the performance, the lights for each vi- for each vignette, the lights were a different 
um, yeah. a different colour. Like when he did Macbeth, uh, the light was red. When he did uh, The Merchant of Venice, it was yellow. When he did Hamlet, it was white, a white light. Right. Yeah, and that was all. So if look, if you ever, if I don't know if he would ever go on tour again, but if he ever does, and you see Shakespeare's villains, mm-hmm. check that out. That's a that's a cracker of a show. It really. Oh is. wow. Yeah. I shall, I shall definitely keep a look at that and I am for that. But anyway, enough about Stephen and more about you. Mm. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so, so uh, how did you? How did, was was film the natural progression, or did you did you happen upon it by uh, uh, chance or opportunity, or you know? It's, I think it's opportunity. Basically, when yeah. I was at drama school, um, I was at drama school with Simon Bamford. Uh, who plays Butterball in Hellraiser. Right, right. And he... Clive Barker, funny enough, saw Simon do Shakespeare. Wow, okay. Because uh, Simon and I were in the same year, but we were in different groups. So Simon was playing the fool in King Lear. Right. Uh, and Clive saw Simon do that and invited him to become part of his... Like Clive's Fringe Theatre Company called the Dog Company, right. which had Doug Bradley in it, um, and Pete Atkins, I think, was part of it. Oliver Smith, uh, sorry, Oliver Parker, who plays the Removal Man um, right. in um, Hellraiser. Right. They were all part of it. Funny enough, Oliver Oliver Parker went on to direct Othello right. uh, with Lawrence Fishburne playing. Yes. yes. Um, yeah. And Ken, um, and Ken Brenner plays uh, Iago in it. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, and then I think through Simon I got invited to a party. I met Clive. Uh, he asked me to model for him, so I modeled for Clive for Clive, as everyone knows, I'm sure, uh, Clive is an amazing artist. Oh, uh, and he illustrated the uh, covers to an edition of the Books of Blood. Right. Um, and, you know, six covers. And I feature, I think, on three of them. Right. Well, bits of my body certainly feature on small, come to think of it. But there's a beautiful portrait of me uh, with my head opened up and my brains visible right. and um, uh, syringes dropping into it. Right. And, um, I had I I posing for that wasn't too, flesh. I had posing for that wasn't too painful and... Oh, no, not at all. I mean, basically, posing for Clive, and, you know, just yeah. standing around having your photograph taken. Right. Um, so, you know, that, that, it wasn't too bad at all. Yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, he just had, he just had reference photographs and, and uh, you know, got the, um, uh, and then just applied his imagination, basically. So, um, yeah, so th- that's how, and then, I'd known Clive for about three years before he just phoned up one day and saying, I'm making a movie, Nick. I'd like you to be in it. Uh, there is some makeup involved. Um, <laughs> which I think, Simon and I swear he, he used the same line on both of us that there was some makeup involved right. um, in Hellraiser. And that's basically how I got into movies. It's right, all true, okay. Clive. Right. Oh, that's good. That's interesting. I had no idea. Mm. But, um, yeah, so what, what uh, away from it all, what's, what's I mean, I've seen some documentaries featuring him. There's, there's a very, there's a great one that shows you his studio, his painting studio where he lives, and just the stacks and stacks of paintings that he calls his failures. 
But they're better than some people. They're better than some people's first attempts. You know what I mean? You know. I know. Oh, he's he's, he's extraordinary. I, I remember. <laughs> I remember sitting in his studio. Well, I'm I'm fascinated by art. Um, I dabble myself, right. and um, he. I remember sitting in his studio. And I was watching him paint. I said, oh, you're using a black. Why are you, you know, that's making it too dark. Surely that's too dark. Yeah. Um, and he uh, it pointed out that this was just an under right. color. Right. And that he would paint over that color. I was just like, yeah, shut up, Nick. Clive knows what he's doing. He's yeah. um, it, amazing. But I think we have a program over here. We were watching it last night called Portrait Artist of the Year. Okay. Uh, which is where, which is a competition where they they and it's absolutely fascinating where right. they get nine people into paint three celebrities and you know it's an hour long program and you watch their progress they get four hours to paint somebody. Right, right. Um, I think I've seen that. The, I think I've seen that, Joe. Oh, okay, it's, it's yeah. brilliant. It's absolutely fascinating. Yeah. And it's uh, they just see... announced the winner yesterday. Right. Yeah. It's marvelous um, to see each person's. Uh, yeah, interpretation of essentially the same, you know. Yeah, it's not like they, the yeah. same. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's it's brilliant. It, it's um, and uh, they were showing last night the guy who'd won, who's painting Tom Jones, the singer Tom Jones for the National uh, Museum in Wales, and they showed his process, and he he showed all the countless sketches he'd done, and the, but also the fact that basically he lays on the. You lay on the shadows first if you're painting in oils, right. and then you paint it. You do it in pencils as well. You put the darker colours in first, and then you layer over the top um, to get the stuff. So yeah, it, 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 it's a fascinating thing. I love I love art. I'm just, I'm, I was lucky enough to to model for as um, I modelled for Clive. I also modelled for Dave McKean for his book Cages. Uh, for an artist called John Bolton, a uh, comics artist called John Bolton. Yeah, right. um, so I did quite a lot of modelling for artists uh, oh. back in the day, oh, uh, which is fun, really, really good fun. Right. So obviously you do, you know, you 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 work, you've met Clive, you go and do a couple of Hellraiser pictures. <clears throat> um, at what point now? Because you're you're sort of almost part of his uh, players, if you will. Yeah. Um, yeah. Was it was it a natural step then to go and do Nightbreed? Yeah, I think it was. I think you're absolutely right. There, there's Glenn's career, you know, surrounded himself with this group because I mean, most of the guys who were in the Dog Company went on to do the films. Right. Um, I think Doug Simon and I did all three. Of Clive's early directorial stuff before he did um, Lord of Illusions. Uh, so, although Clive obviously didn't direct Hellbound, um, he was heavily involved because he was. Pre the reason he didn't do Hellbound was because he was preparing for Nightbreed. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think it was. I think yes, it was a conversation saying, "Yeah, you know, we're going to be doing a third film." Well, you did that. You did have that feeling, you know. We were. It was the part of the family. Right. Uh, I think that's one of the great things is that. Oh God! Over thirty years later, yeah. uh, we're still, you know, we're still meeting up. We're in, in fact, weekend after next, we're at uh, Motor City Nightmares uh, right. in Novi uh, mm -hmm. near 
Detroit. Um, and Clive will be there, and Doug Bradley will be there, Ashley Lawrence will be there, um, uh, Andrew Robinson from Hellraiser will right. be there, Doug Simon Barbie, you know, Barbie from Hellbound, right. um, Barbie Wild. Um, and it is just like, you know, we're just meeting up with our mates, you know, you're meeting up with your mates right. apart from anything else. Yeah. Um, and funny enough, we did. I was just, a couple of years ago, it came up on my Facebook feed, um, Barbie, myself, Simon, Ken Cranham, and Oliver Smith, who played skinned Frank in Hellraiser, yeah. we ended, we all did a movie called The Offer together. Okay, yep. yep. Uh, um, from Dead Mouse, production of the guys behind the Leviathan right. uh, documentary. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but I think when we were doing... Nightbreed, there was just a definite feeling, okay, yeah, the gang's all here again. Right, um, yeah. And, and, and Clive, I mean, his books are, you know, fant- as phantasmagorical as his artwork, what is, the, what is the man like away from all that, like just sitting down with your mate Clive? Oh, he, 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 the great thing about Clive is... It's really intelligent conversation. Right, right. Um, you have to, you know, you, I always feel as if I'm being slightly challenged to do my best and to think my hardest. Right. Um, and it's lovely, so that, which is incredibly stimulating, of course. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, it, it really makes you think, yeah, gosh, this is, this is fun and I'm learning so much here. Yeah. Um, and gosh, yeah, no, I hadn't thought about that before. And funny. I mean, he's very, very funny. Mm-hmm. It was really lovely, actually. I was at um, Days of the Dead in Sh- Atlanta uh, earlier this year, right. January of this year. Yeah. Um, and there was a client. And I brought my original Hellraiser script right. across with me to get because yeah. Clive had never signed it, and my manager, Chris, had just suggested I bring it across. So I did. Um, uh, and I managed to find Clive at his table at a fairly quiet patch. And then we ended up by having a chat for about 20 minutes. Yeah. And it was, again, it was just, I thought, oh my God, I've not really had that chance, because, of course, Clive lives in Los Angeles, I live in London, so we really don't see much of each other now, except at conventions when we're busy. Yeah. Um, so this is the first chance I had to have a really good chat with Clive, and I just thought, oh my God, this is just so wonderful. Because as I say, you just you always walk away feeling better about yourself because he's always so genuinely encouraged, and you feel challenged, and your mind is kind of opened up to new thoughts and you know new ways of looking at things. Yeah. Um, I think that's what what it is with somebody like Clive is you just get blown away by all these of the way that your mind is is being expanded sure. um, just by being in conversation with him. Right. So, did you did you read the book first or the script? Cabal. Yeah. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I suspect I did. Gosh, it's a long time ago. Um, I think I must have done because I remember that originally in in the book, the character who is with Peliquin when Boone first comes to Midian is called Jackie. Yeah. And who is described as having two faces melded into one, two brothers melded into one. Right. Now they created that makeup, and in fact, you can see it at the top of the at the beginning of the movie. Right. But when Clive saw it, just it's not going to work because only one eye was work. Right. It could only make one eye, and the other eye is obviously a false eye. You just can't get any expression. Right. So 
So the character was then play, changed to Kinski. Yeah. Um, no, no, no relation to Klaus. Uh, no, no relation to Klaus. No. Possibly related to Mac tonight. Right. Uh, Donald's uh, Crescent Moon face guy. Right. Um, now, I don't know what the inspiration was. Or, yeah. you know, if that's what Clive had in the back of his mind when he yeah. just, you know, came up with this idea. Right. Suddenly it was changed. You know, I wasn't there when those were decisions. I was just told. Right. That's what, this is what, you know, this is what your makeup's going to look like. Right. Nick, I, don't, I didn't even get to see the original design for Jackie. Oh, I was literally, you know, the first makeup I saw was the one that everyone's familiar with, perhaps, yeah. the uh, the Kinski makeup with the Crescent Moon. Yeah. So, um, so you, you, you eventually, of course, read this, you know, whichever you read first, you, 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 read, <clears throat> you read the material, you've worked with Clive before, so going to, going into the making of the film, was it, what, was it evidently was it smooth because of the history you already had? It's smooth in some respects, not in others. Yeah. Um, it was a fraught production, I yeah. think, as everyone knows. Yeah. Um, the okay, so when we first started, the original idea was that they wouldn't use the prosthetics, right, and it would be much cheaper. So I went to, uh, I think it was probably Pinewood uh, Studios, and I spent a day being painted, basically. Right. Um, I, re I remember <laughs> standing around in a loincloth and people painting me right. to see what effects they could get and what they could achieve, um, and then being having it all washed off me at the end of the day before I could go home. Right. And they felt, you know, it just doesn't work. They are going to, you know, to get these fantastical creatures, you can't really do it without prosthetic makeup, um, which, of course, increased the budget. Um, then, of course, then what happened is that halfway through, Morgan Creek, other production company, which were run by two partners at the time. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, the, the cost, I think, was already ballooning on the movie. Yeah. And then the guy who'd actually commissioned the film, greenlit the film, left. So the other partner who hadn't commissioned and really didn't understand what Clive was trying to do, apparently, yeah. I think, you know, he was just looking at the cost of this thing and thinking yeah. they were expecting to get. No, I obviously wasn't. This is, one, this is the stuff I've heard afterwards. Yeah. Um, you know, he, they were expecting to get another Hellraiser, another horror movie. But here we have is a huge movie with more monsters than any other movie yeah. um, ever before at that time. And the monsters are the good guys. Right. So this is not what people are expecting. Right, not right. The, the producers are expecting. So it was really tough for Clive. It was it was a really tough time for Clive. Yeah. Um, he had a, um, and he ended up in a hospital because he fell down, and he, uh, and he was in hospital. I remember he was in hospital for a week or so right. uh, towards the end of the shoot. So it, it just completed. He was he was a really. Uh, a Oh, wow. These amazingly talented yeah. makeup people who'd worked on both the first 
films. They brought in a whole new load of people because they had to, there were so many, many monsters to do. I was lucky enough, I'd work with, I mean, guys who went on to win Oscars for their makeup, Mark Gullier, um, <laughs> John Bormican has won an Emmy, um, Neil Gorton, who, uh, runs Millennium FX, who does all the, the modern Doctor Who. Uh, TV series, creates all the monsters for that. I mean, the, a lot of people got their start with image animation and a lot of people got their start on Nightbreed. Right. Um, extraordinary, you know, extraordinary bunch of talented, talented people worked so hard. Um, I mean, I just had to sit in a makeup chair. These big guys are on their feet all day applying makeup, painting, creating, doing all the really uh, tough stuff. Yeah. Um, so then they went there. The, the crew was the same as well. The, the cameraman was like Robin Vision. Yes. Um, the um, uh, the sound guy was the same. Um, a lot of the, the guys, you know, who'd worked on the first two films, kind of, you know, harking back to what you were saying before. Yeah. He you know, kind of built up a really good team that worked. Yeah. So he kept on using them. Well, I... uh, and that was true until he moved to the states. Right. When I watch the when I watch the film now, it strikes me that he was it was kind of like Gramilio del Toro before Gramilio del Toro, you know. He's he's a big not not only he likes a lot of monsters in his movies, but he likes that practical people in masks and and real stuff on the set, very little yeah. CGI where possible. Um, yes. And Nightbreed sort of strikes me as that kind of thing before. I mean, now that Del Toro's done it and done it successfully several times, you know, he's the standard bearer, but Nightbreed was kind of that before, you know, before it was popular now. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. absolutely. I, I mean, Nightbreed is just an extraordinary film. Clive describes it as Gone with the Wind with Monsters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a huge romantic film. You know, that it's, it's, I think that's one of the things to remember about Hellraiser, Hellbound and Nightbreed. At, at the core of them, there are, they are love stories, very twisted love stories in the case of Hellraiser and Hellbound. Yeah. Um, but Hell, Nightbreed is a story about a woman and what she'll do for the man she'll, she loves, you yeah. know, the sacrifices she will make, what she will do and I think that's what a lot of Clive's work is about is about passion and sex and sexuality and and so on so I think yeah and I think obviously of course you know in terms of practicality there was no CGI when we were making Hellraiser it was all practical effects it had all to be practical Uh, you know CGI well it was kind of I mean, they made, you know, they made, I wasn't, it's not that it didn't exist, because they made Who Framed, Ro- Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Um, so it was in its early days. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the reason why you get away with it in Roger Rabbit is because you're, you're doing cartoons yeah. and live action, you're mixing, which obviously they've done before with, with Mary Poppins, but in terms of thinking about realistic looking CGI, yeah. uh, you know, that just didn't exist in those days. Yeah. But um, did you did you happen to run into Mr. Cronenberg who was in the film? Only in makeup and only, only once. Okay, right. that. Um, So yeah. he has no idea what I look like. Right. But I do remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do remember him 
we were um, I was in the College of Pinewood, we filmed this at Pinewood Studios, and Peter yeah. Atkins, who wrote Hellbound, Hellraiser 3, again was part of the dog company, was a school friend of Clive's, and yeah. uh, so, you know, still a very good friend of Clive's. Um, I was walking along the corridor and, and Pete just said, Nick, 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 come here, come here, come here. Okay, mm-hmm. listen here, listen here. And he got me to listen at the door and we could hear a typewriter right. uh, going along. And he said, that's David Cronenberg typing up the script of his next film, which was, um, the name of which entirely escapes me now. Right. Oh, God. Mm. It's a David Cronenberg film. Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch. Naked Lunch. Wow, okay. Uh, And people say, yeah, he's typing up the script for Naked Lunch. Wow. Uh, We were blown away by that. So that's the closest I got to Mr. Cronenberg, but from all accounts, he was really cool. Yeah. Um, And and people really enjoyed working with him. Yeah, I think, I think, uh, ironically perfect casting in that part that he played, you know, I mean. Yeah. It's a wonder he didn't go, I mean, he he has played little parts in other movies before and since. Yeah. but yeah, it, it I was, think yeah, I, he strikes me as, you know, you just, <laughs> you, I, I often wonder with, because you know yourself with being an actor, you put yourself, you know, you're essentially putting yourself in someone else's shoes to play a part. And, and, yeah, yeah, absolutely, and, and you, you are, that, yeah. I mean, that's part of the process as well, and of course yeah. with film acting, you're also... I mean, this is the real difference. You were talking about um, Burkhoff earlier on, the difference between film acting and theatre. Yeah. With theatre, you're, you're total, you are 90% in control of what the audience sees. Yeah. Um, yeah. Film it kind of the other way around. Yeah. You're only about 30 or 40% in control, the rest of it is to do with the film and the editor, and the makeup and the setting and the camera and the lighting, etc., etc., etc. And you never get to see your audience. You know, you're doing it to meet the audience until after the event. Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you, and you may end up in the cutting room for it's happened to me. Yeah. Um, it's perfectly good performance, but it just doesn't work for the movie. Yeah. You know, it's often, you know, it's often because. And that's just the way it, you know. That's just the way the, the, it works. That's what filmmaking is about. Yeah. Um, because at the end of the day, you may have to read. You know, you'd give a wonderful performance and say, "Okay, go again. Uh, we need something happened. You know, we had extra, a, a plane flew overhead, or you know, whatever." Yeah. Um, so it's a very different experience yeah, um, yeah. from being, you know, from being theatre. Yeah. I mean, I was lucky. Um, in all the three movies I made with Clive, um, that it, it all worked. Yes. It, you know, it, you know, it all massively worked. I think the great thing with with Kinski as opposed to Chasher, of course, is there was an awful lot more to do. Yeah. A lot more lines, and it was just, you know, there's a lot more interaction with the other characters, and you know, you kind of felt you're acting more. Um, so it, it was a more pleasurable experience. Yes. Um, yes. In, in in talking about the sort of the the, the, del, the del Toro connection as far as <coughs> movies with monsters, um, Ron Perlman I regard as one of the the great actors able to act through uh, several layers of prosthetics. Um, <coughs> what what was your experience acting through a, a lot of makeup? Is it is it easier or difficult 
to act with all that stuff on your face. I mean, the other person, of course, is Doug Jones. Yes, yeah, um, well, Doug Jones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Funnily enough, a quick, quick aside, um, I, was with a, I was at a convention with uh, Doug Jones. I was at Dragon Con in Atlanta a few years ago, and suddenly somebody looked at us and said, oh, my God, you've both played moon-faced guys. Right, right. Because um, Doug Jones did the original Mac Tonight advertising campaign in America. For those of you who don't know, oh. Mac Tonight was a tap dancing. So basically he looked like Fred Astaire, but his his head was a crescent moon. Right, right. Um, right. Wearing sunglasses. Right. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I think it's interesting. I mean, what is, how is it different? You feel... And I, I haven't acted recently under makeup. Yeah. Um, what you very quickly learned is that it's very responsive because the thing is with, um, okay, to, to compare the two, Chatterer and Kinski. Right. So Chatterer is a mask. It's not attached to my face. Literally all I can do is walk, chatter, and shove my fingers down Ash's throat and um, <laughs> yeah. that's it, you know, yeah. and, and, and stay still. Yeah. And actually what we learned very quickly was, I mean, it was just purely because I there, didn't really have very much choice, discovered that actually walking chattering is that the, the makeup is so strong, the image of chatterer is so strong. Yeah. Uh, it's mind-blowing. And, the, you know, the, the whole thing about chatterer, uh, people often say that he's scarier than Pinhead because you can't have a dialogue. You can't bargain with Chatterer. Yeah. But Chatterer's just going to fuck you up. Right, right. And, you know, there's no reasoning with him. Yeah. Um, he is just going to do what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, Kinski is a complete opposite. I mean, Kinski's a wannabe bad guy. He hangs around with Pelequin, who's obviously the really bad guy. Right, right. But Kinski's a lot... Gent is a much gentler soul yeah. than Pelequin. Yeah. Um, and in terms of, uh, of acting through the makeup, really it was just acting. And it, you, I didn't, it becomes a lot of that, you know, the eyes, are, you know, the eyes are where you look. Yeah. You get the expression. Yeah. Um, I have to say, it's not my voice in the original release. Right, right. Um, I was overdubbed with an American accent. Yeah. Uh, is what his motive 
what his motivation, what his motivation is, what what does he want, yeah. what's he trying to achieve in this scene, and who he, who he is. You know all the, you know you've made up your mind a long time before you walk on set as yeah. to who this guy is. Yeah. In your own mind, and then you're going to discuss. You know, we discuss with Clive on the set what it is Clive wants, yeah. and then you've got to be aware of technically what's required. Yeah. Uh, I remember I fucked up one scene because I didn't follow instructions in terms of where I was supposed to be running because right. I thought I knew better. Right. Um, don't do that anymore. Um, I no. never think I know better than the people telling me what to do on a film set. Right. I, I know I'm always wrong. Um, uh, unless I'm the director, yeah. uh, in which case I'm right. Um, <laughs> when you're acting, you know, Clive said, you know, in some aspects, all that's required from an actor is obedience. Yeah. And it, it's true in some, you know, on, it's a very technical thing. You've got to hit your mark. You've got to be in the right place. You've got to do it repeatedly yeah. um, so that you get yeah, the, the cameraman can can get his shot. You're in focus. You've hit the, you know, you're lit properly. Yeah. All that stuff is going on in your head, as long as well as trying to remember the lines and yeah. uh, bring some character and some emotion yeah. to to whatever's going on. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's no different from acting in, in without makeup in that respect. It's just yeah. you have to get up. You have a lot. You have to have a lot more stamina, I sure. think. Yeah. Because, you know, I was there at, uh, what was I, okay, so, so we, I went into makeup chair at four o'clock in the morning, wow. so I was picked up at three o'clock in the morning, right. so makeup chair at four o'clock in the morning, yeah. after five hours of makeup, yeah. on set at nine o'clock. Now, oh, wow. as I say, that's tough, and you have to keep on going all the, you know, I think I did six, one 16-hour day. Yeah. Um, uh, on some reshoots, I did a 16-hour day, yeah. and that, which is tough, you know, that, that's hard work. But as I say, the guys actually creating the makeup have it tougher, because they're on, you know, while you're sitting in this chair having to stay still, yeah. they are um, on their feet, they're applying it, they've got to make sure it looks good. Yeah. And these are the same guys who are going to have painted the, the makeup, and in Kinski's case, of course, it's applied the wig, applied the eyebrow, applied the beard, um, and all that stuff. So, you know, these were really, really hard-working was it, uh, young men. Was it, was it heavy on your face? No, it, no, it's probably about the same weight as a bathroom sponge. Okay, right, right. Uh, I just wondered because you've got... Yeah. Low-tex yeah, yeah. foam rubber in those days, though okay. these days they mostly use silicon, I believe. Yeah. Um, so, and I've not had the chance to, you know, no one's asked me to do that. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to wear makeup again and yeah. do a, the makeup part. Because yeah, um, yeah. they're fun, you know, I, I love work, I admire this, the artistic talent of all these guys who do this makeup, yeah, yeah. guys and girls, uh, who do this makeup. Yeah. Um, they're extraordinary. I, yeah. I you know, because it's not just imagining it, they have to sculpt it, they have to paint it. You know, they have to apply it. They have, you know, extraordinary, absolutely amazing uh, yeah. people and really interesting to chat to. I made, I made some really good friends, uh, Jeff Poitras, Roy Puddyfoot, and John Cormican. Um, 
guys who I can occasionally see, uh, who you know, over thirty odd years ago. Yeah. Uh, we don't get. I don't get to see them as frequently as the cast because they don't come with us to conventions. Right. They have their own makeup conventions, yeah, right. uh, rather than actor conventions. Yes, yes. But uh, no, it's it's a it's a real thrill to talk to you because because Kinski is is my favourite character in the in the film, oddly enough. Because, oh wow! Yeah. Thank you. Because I mean, um, it, it, it's weird. It's it 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 started off like the first time I ever saw it. For me, he's the most striking visually. Just to just the look. I mean, because I, I'm not I'm not just saying it's because of the the face or anything like that. But you know, like you said, he starts off uh, like he's he's trying to um, you know run with the bad boy, as you say, yeah, uh, and trying to trying to say, look, I'm I can be bad too, you know that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but sort of through that he then he then defends Boone and then tries to help him uh, escape yeah. and then when we skip forward a little bit when Boone is is being admitted into the, the you know the tribes of the moon and all that sort yeah, of yeah yeah he uh, he is the one who uh, sort of stands for him votes for him if you will you yeah. Know? yeah and yeah. and there's this there's a scene that one it's it's one of my favorite scenes because the look on your face is almost this look of pride like you're you're proud that he is yeah taking his place you know almost like I always like to think in my mind though he you know might have had some sort of foresight that Boone was going to be the guy who was going to be the you know the savior or the chosen one or whoever whatever you want to call it and there's that great scene where you have this, you, you sort of, you're behind Craig Schaefer, but you've got this look of, like, yeah. you know, it's almost a regal sort of like, I'm so proud to be doing this. <laughs> sort of, you know, to be to be inducting this person into the yeah. club, if you will. And yeah, yeah, it's just, you know, it's just, and, and just the, the striking and, you know, it, it always it always just sort of stuck. And even when I watch it, I watched it again last night to, you know, for a refresher. Mm before we chatted but uh, yeah just you, you know so it, it's a little bit of a a, a long well, time well thank of, you I, yeah. I love that scene as well and I think I, I loved playing Kinski yeah. I love playing Kinski yeah. I mean I love the, you know spoiler alert uh, at the end of the movie yeah um, he has Clyde gave me one of the best lines I think I've ever had yeah um, uh, he unmade Midian um, yeah. I just think you know he didn't destroy it. He, he unmade Midian. Yeah. Um, and there's you know I I think it's such a a, bit, a beautifully written line. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I think this is the thing about Kinski, and I think one of the things that's lovely about him. So you have Pelequin, right. wonderfully played by Oliver Parker. Yeah. Um, you know. Removal man in the first Hellraiser and the second Hellraiser, yeah. uh, and then plays Pelequin in um, in Nightbreed. Yeah, uh, he, he was got great the, fun to work he's with. Got the, he's, got then, the, he's got the iconic yeah. sort of trailer line, you know the what is it? Uh, yeah. God's, you know, God's an astronaut, and Oz is oh, yeah. the rainbow, and and Midian's where the monsters live. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it gives me a chill when you quote it. Yeah, yeah. it's it's a one. That's the great thing about working on Clive's films. You know, any actor who's got those lines. Yeah, 
just amazing. Yeah. You know, we, we, lucky enough that Andrew Robinson has come to been uh, been to a few conventions, and we've done question and answers with Andrew Robinson. Yeah. And listening to his stories as to why he did Hellraiser. Right. Um, and Andrew's an amazing guy, talented guy, got on to do um, all the TV series, was it, despite the, the um, Star Trek stuff, uh, and so on, under a lot of makeup. Um, yeah, he, he's. You just have these wonderful lines. Yeah. Um, again, if you go back to Hellraiser, those victims uh, that Julia brings back. Yeah, I like to be careful, says one of them just before he's bludgeoned to death with a hammer. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, you know, but it was in, in Nightbreed, it's, it, it, yeah, it, it, just brilliant script, you know, brilliant dialogue. Yeah. There's so many different versions floating around out there. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess a good question, personal favourite, do you... Did you like the theatrical version? Are you a fan of the director's cuts or the cabal cut, or you know, have you seen I, I, have, have you seen I, all the different ones or not? Or? I have, yeah. No, yep. funnily enough, I, I've seen all of them so far, yeah. and there's a fourth one yep. that they're now working on. Yeah. Um, a three-hour version. Right. Uh, uh, which I keep on coming up on my timeline, which I believe is coming out from Morgan Creek. They found yet more footage. Footage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you get to see a lot more monsters. Yeah. Um, it'd be really interesting to see what becomes of this. Or yeah, I, I don't know much more about it rather than the fact that there's a Facebook page and they've announced it and they work and they every so often they release uh, previously unseen um, photographs. Right. Um, so is the, I, I guess I guess a good question is there is there anything in particular you remember filming that still hasn't been put in the in the film or, or included I, I don't remember because they were because the scene that was missing from the theatrical cut which yeah. was then put back into both cabal I think yeah. and night and the director's cut is the one between myself and Peliquin yeah. um, where Peliquin's talking to Kinski saying, you know, you think, you know, okay, you blame me, uh, or something along the lines of, this isn't my fault, and, uh, you know, and Kinski obviously blames Pelequin, and Pelequin then rushes out and decides to, you know, rush to the surface and confront bazookas and, and, and trucks and, and so on. Um, that one was put back in, that was definitely missing from the theatrical version. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there was so much missing from the theatrical version, right? yeah. because yeah. basically it was re-edited and re-shot to be a stalk and slash movie, which is not what the original script was about. No, the original sure. script, was a, as I say, was a love story, much yeah. like the book is, a love story yeah. uh, with monsters. Yeah. Um, so I thought it was amazing that as I say, there's potentially a fourth version yeah. of it. I think it's fascinating. I'm really interested to see what what they put back in. Because yeah. um, before before I actually saw the film, I found a book, um, and it's like an illustrated version 
of the screenplay. Oh, the, the script. Yeah. Yes. And it yeah. has and it has uh, photos and drawings and the full the screenplay uh, in it. Yeah. And to yes. re- to read that screenplay, which was obviously uh, I don't know whether it was the shooting script or or uh, you know um, probably probably a very close draft to what they used. Yes. Yeah. I, I believe so. I believe so. Full enough, there was another... I'm looking at it on my bookshelf uh, as we talk. Um, my very battered copy of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I've got... Interesting. Okay. Um, there's a miss, There's a book missing from my bookshelf, and I'm wondering where <laughs> else I've put that. Because there was another book done called The Nightbreed Chronicles, which is basically a... He had a photograph and a brief biography, which Clive wrote after we'd finished filming, right. I, I, I should say. Yeah. Because I remember reading out, getting a copy of it afterwards and thinking, wish I'd known this stuff before we'd Right, right, yeah. Uh, um, your character uh, it was a really fascinating your, book as well. Your character. Um, was, and which proved yeah. really interesting when I went on to, uh, really useful when I went on to write Nightbreed comics yeah. for Marvel. Right, or right. epic comics as part of Marvel, because yeah. um, I'd, I'd written Hellraiser comics and I wrote uh, Nightbreed co- comics as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that proved incredibly useful that book because I had all these characters that had not been that were visible in the film, yeah. but which had you been. never got to know their backstory. Right, right. Um, so, and, and of course, there's still talk. Now, I don't know what's happening with it now, but since all the change at Fox and mm-hmm. Disney and so on, but there's been talk for a long, you know, they announced mm-hmm. a Nightbreed TV series. Oh, okay. Uh, um, so, now, I no idea what's going on with that right, um, yeah. at the moment, but, you know, mm-hmm. since Disney took over Fox, yeah. um, it, it, whether or not that's affected, you know, so much is up in the air in Hollywood yeah. at the moment. Yeah. Um, it might be a good reason to get the gang back together. It'd be wonderful if, if you know if they can get a few of us um, over there because uh, yeah. I assume they're going to. I don't know where they're going to film. I have no idea. They could be filming in Europe. They could be filming anywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, no idea what's going on. Yeah. Um, the you know the um, there is such a rich. I think this is the thing about the book Cabal and the film Nightbreed is there is such a rich seam of stuff to mine. There are extraordinary, extraordinary, you know, there are so many characters and so many backstories and so many stories to be told in, within that world. I really do hope the TV series gets off, you know, takes off. Yeah. But but, I mean, the, the, the big story that I always heard to come out of it after I started reading about, you know, the, the production and how it was uh, a turbulent production was the fact that the opening of the film, that uh, that scene where Babette shows the girl the past, she touches her and she has visions of the past. I I read somewhere that that was a a major scene. That was supposed to open the movie. That you know it's going to be like the. I think it's in that in that script in that book that we both have. Yes. Um, yeah. It, it opened and that was going to set the you know, set the scene and it was like you saw how these people were persecuted and executed. Yes. And, and yes. It, was a much, it was a much longer, larger, elaborate 
sequence was obviously yeah. that was obviously cut down to the the scene as it exists. Um, yes. So yeah, so I was always intrigued because you read that script in that the book we have, uh, and hopefully other people yes. get a chance to see it because that is uh, you read that script and go, wow! I, if only they'd left him alone and given him some more money, um, that would have been you know because there's stuff in that script that's not in any of the films, and it would be just incredible to see it. Yes, I mean, well, you know, and of course it may have been shot, and you may see it in the three-hour version. It, well, that, um, that's true, yeah. They, so, they might pull it all back know, together, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think well, the, the thing is, of course, that if, by, if the film had started with that, yeah. that would have definitely made it a mo- the, the Nightbreed story. Yeah. Um, more the story than, of more the than, monsters yeah. rather than, than the, the story, story. of, of yeah. Boone and Laurie. Yeah. Um, you know, but by making this the dream of Boone, yeah. this introduces our hero, and you know, it, it works and, and, and so on. Yeah. Um, but it would have given a very different slant. A different to start, what yeah. Um, and another question I've been another question I've been dying to ask you, and it's, mm. and it's partly um, inspired by my wife too, Craig Schaefer, who you played some yes. scenes with. Um, his, I don't know whether you know this or not. But his first film was a was a rock, oh, were we, a science fiction rock opera comedy called Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Have you ever heard of it? I've it? never heard of it. Oh well, look, if, do yourself a favour when you're done with me, if you've got the time, look up, look it up on on, on look it up on uh, on the internet or YouTube. Voyage of the Rock. It was his first ever picture. That he was in, and um, wow, yeah, and and I, I I just I just wondered what um, uh, what he was like because Nightbreed was 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 Nightbreed like the was the next thing he did, wasn't it? It was pretty close. It was pretty close to I, the next I, thing he did. I, I think it was his first leading role. Yeah, yeah. In a, a you know major yeah production. He's a lovely. He's a really really nice guy. I've, I've met him. A couple of times since. Right, right. Uh, he's a very talented actor. Yes. Um, Craig, um, and you know, as is Anne Bobby, for example, who you know, the Craig, Craig is, Clive is always really good at finding very talented cast. Yes, yes. Um, he is a lovely guy. Um, he certainly didn't. I don't remember. He certainly didn't mention that. Um, that movie, I remember talking to him. Um, I bumped into, I remember, after we made Nightbreed, I um, had enough money to go to the States for the first time. Right. And I flew into New York, uh, met up with Anne Bobby, um, and then flew on. Oh, no, I missed Anne Bobby because she was away filming in Canada doing small stuff and then I met up with her sister um, and then I went over to Los Angeles uh, and um, hooked up with some friends of mine um, who I'd been at drama school with a lady called Holly yeah. I'd been at drama school with and I remember walking along Venice Beach walking along Venice Beach yeah. and literally talking about the fact that what was weird that was that was not bumping into people I know um, because I was on the other side of the world, and like, literally, just as I'd said that, I hear Nick <laughs> turn around. That's Craig Sheffer. Oh wow! Um, who's happened to be on the on the beach um, talking to me? So he, 
it really is a small world as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, check check it out. Voyage of the Rock Aliens. It, it is, Voyage of the Rock Aliens. Yeah, Voyage of the Rock Aliens. That sounds wonderful. It is, sounds wonderful. You know how they say some films are released and other films escape? Um, yeah. <laughs> that one, that one, that one... That one planted, escaped, and got over the wall, and hasn't been seen since. Um, yeah, right. It's it's a different. It's the most unique film I've ever seen. I never wow. to be, never to be repeated. And that was his first. Right. That was his first movie. So, yeah. So it was. <laughs> it was all. It was all, it was all uh, uphill from there. Yeah. It's, right. It's fantastic. Look, it looks. It might look stupid, but if you ever get the chance to watch it, you'll. You'll be rewarded, um, oh, okay. because it is it is just so vivacious and intriguing, and just yeah, it is it's every it's everything that was beautiful and wrong about the eighties. Um, right. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But yeah, check yes, it out. Yes, there was not a lot in that camp. Yeah. Check it yeah. out. But um, I, I, one one question I always ask is um, any any amusing mm. any amusing tales from the set that have not been. Uh, hurt. Uh, funny, uh, funny moment. Yeah. Any, anything that. Probably you... not. To be honest, I've been oh. talking about these things for over thirty. Oh, well, no. at least in the last twenty odd years or yeah, so. Because yeah. it really didn't kick off until about ten years after we finished. Right, I think the tenth right. anniversary. It was the first convention. The tenth anniversary of right. Hellraiser. Right. Was the first convention that I did. Um, I mean, you know, uh, as well as playing Kinski. Yeah, uh, I'm uncredited as a berserker, okay. um, the one with glowing eyes, the white, mm. the, the the paler of the four okay. berserkers. I played those, yeah. um, and um, I remember, I remember standing at the top of some scaffolding. It's a huge set in yeah. Midian, yes, and um, Laurie. Uh, gets her ankle grabbed by um, one of the berserkers as she goes down the corridor. Yeah. And originally it was we tried it with me, but my, they decided um, my arm was too pale. The arm I was with, so they got one of the other guys to do it. But whilst we were filming it, I remember being at the top of some scaffolding uh, underneath the set with um, Anne Bobby, who played, plays Laurie. Um, staring down at me and then suddenly grabbing my hand and we'd already got already become friends uh, at this stage and she just looked down at me grabbed my hand and started singing you made me love you I didn't want to do it I didn't want to do it <laughs> that's great that's fantastic oh, that's wonderful that's uh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, yeah. Good friends with Anne Bobby. Wonderful, uh, talented woman. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. Well, look, Nicholas, I've taken up way too much of your time. Thank you for being. Thank you for schooling me in the law, according to, <laughs> according to Nicholas, Vince, my favourite character, ladies and gentlemen, from Nightbreed. He played Kinski. He's been a bit of a hellraiser as well. But um, yeah, but uh, listen, look, I hope, mate, that that uh, if if they do do something else w regarding Nightbreed, whether on the small screen or the big screen, I hope they give you a call because it would be a real oh thrill. yeah, it'd, no. it'd be a real thrill of surely for yourself, but for uh, fans and and certainly myself to see you back uh, oh. playing playing a familiar. Oh, thank you very 
Final Thank you very much. And I should, should just say before we go that yeah. um, uh, on May the 11th in the United Kingdom, place uh, in Bournemouth in the United Kingdom, I'm introducing a 35 a screening of the original print of oh, Nightbreed excellent. on 35 mil, well, the actual go. film. There you go. Uh, at the Mary Shelley Theatre on May the 11th. Yeah. Um, I'm going to be introducing that and doing a Q&A uh, about that. So really looking forward to doing excellent. that. I wish, um, I, I wish I could be there, but um, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. A, I'm a bit far so anyone, away. Any listeners over in the UK, yep. uh, if you hear this football, come on down. Excellent. Yep, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. And look, <laughs> look, Nick, if you're ever, if you're ever down under... Uh, doing the same sort of thing, or even just down under for a holiday, uh, you, mm. you know where to find me. Give us a bell, and we'll have a beer, and uh, yeah, that would be great. And talk shop. That would be great. All right, mate. All thank right, you. Then, thank Ken. you very much for take being care. on the show, and uh, and take care yourself, mate. Will do. All right. Bye. Cheers,